Thank you for tuning into the VF1 show with VF and Vincenzo, the podcast that discusses all things business, marketing, politics, and government within the world of Formula One. If that's your thing, then you found the right place. So without further ado, it's lights out and away we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the VF1 show. I started this podcast last year thinking, you know, I think F1 needs something else, something a little more refreshing, something talking about the intersection of government, politics, and all these crazy things that are happening in F1 right now that we can't really deny anymore. I know nobody wants to talk about politics with sports, but that generally is what F1 is. So I started the podcast and I said, I can't do this by myself. I was bored having conversations with myself to the point where I didn't even publish the podcast because I was so bored of hearing my own voice talking for 20 to 30 minutes. So I'm going to spare you guys that. And rather, I thought I'm going to spare you guys that and I need to get a a co-host. So I didn't want to change the name of the podcast. So I said, I need to find a co-host that is entertaining, that is intelligent, whose name also starts with a V. And I just so happened to meet this exact person last year. Uh, You guys probably remember him from the podcast I recorded with him last year at some point, maybe a couple months ago. I'm not sure. Vincenzo Landino. Vincenzo, I'm going to give you the floor to kind of once again, talk about your background real quick. So people kind of, kind of brush up their memory of, of what you, what you're going to bring to the VF1 show. What can we expect? I have my own production studio, creative studio that I've run for the past seven years or so. And I've been a lifelong F1 fan. About a couple of years ago, I decided that I wanted to use my you know, social media presence that I've built up um, and just talk more about F1. And, and this was just at the cusp of like where people realized that Drive to Survive was on, right? Um, I think the first season or, or, or even two people didn't it wasn't hyped up as much and then for like once we hit season three i think it was it was like oh my god everyone started talking about formula one um and so i used the opportunity to you know of my social media to just start talking about formula one but i I wanted to take a different approach because you know being someone who's started businesses and and you know we service a lot of uh enterprise technology software companies it's by nature of the business, it's boring, right, for us to create video for some of those companies. Um, but my mind always goes into to business. And a lot of our clients are somehow involved in Formula One or motorsports or sports in general. And so I said, okay, I want to take a, a different approach than everybody else. You know, like all the content creators come in and they want to talk about Formula One and they want to meet the drivers and they want to talk about you know, what's happening on the grid and who finished first and the overtakes. And it's like, okay, well, there's like so many people that talk about that, right? We have dedicated sports channels, that kind of stuff, but no one really talks about the business behind sports or, or in this case, Formula One. There was, there, I did some research and I found there was a couple outlets. Um, some of them had actually kind of gone defunct. Some of them never really used social. So they, they probably do things in a different way. Um, but I, I figured that was like the the path I wanted to carve out for myself. I think it's, there's a fascinating, you know, parallel between the business world, politics, um, government, and the world of of sport, specifically Formula One, which 
kind of takes it onto a global level. And with Formula One, you know, we have sponsorships and we have different uh, governments or countries getting involved or wanting to get involved and, you know, backing the sport or hosting an event. And so, I don't know, there's just always something I feel like to talk about, even when, you know, there's not a race on the track, there's always movement happening amongst teams, uh, amongst the series itself, between the series and its governing body, you know, the FIA in this case. Like, so there's all these things that are always happening. And to me, like, that is under talked about. Although now, like you said in your, you know, in the intro, it's probably being talked about a lot more or there's more awareness around it. Um, So I decided to go the route of having a newsletter. So I have a newsletter. It's called uh, The Qualifier. We focus on the business of sport or the business of Formula One. Uh, I've started to do a little bit other motorsports now here and there, and it's gotten really good reactions. Um, have quite a few folks within Formula One, uh, within teams, Formula One teams, motorsport teams, uh, other series that read the newsletter, which is really cool, and also a lot of pressure sometimes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of like the thing I do on the side right now. And I've parlayed that into helping brands enter Formula One, uh, whether it's through sponsorship or partnership. And you know, again, through some of the contacts I've made from writing the newsletter, uh, I've been able to become uh, someone who, who does that. Um, so I'm, I'm looking to carve my path there as a full-time thing. And, uh, and, and being here on this podcast with you is just an absolute natural fit. And so, uh, here we are as that's the long and short of it. Yeah. I, I feel like everyone who's kind of getting into F1 right now, um, at least from a media perspective, there are a lot of people have been into F1 for a long time, myself included. I think I've been a fan for God, 15, 16 years now. And it seems like everyone that's getting involved is doing so because they have something to bring to the sport that is, is just, it's kind of working in harmony right now. You've got people with this, my, my background, I went to college for government and while, uh, you know, I think there was one season of drive to survive prior to COVID and then COVID hit. And then there were two seasons available. So everybody was binge watching drive to survive. And that, I think that's kind of what started that meteoric rise in, in people's involvement in social media. And for me, I was, I was still in school at the time. I was locked down in my apartment in Boston, uh, taking 16 units a semester, trying to finish this mm-hmm. thing out. And so I think about it, all these people who started social media and started, uh, TikTok and, and YouTube and all these things talking about, uh, talking about F1 and their experiences being new to the sport and all these things. And now they've actually been able to parlay them into full-blown careers in journalism. And I'm thinking, you know, as a veteran journalist, that's probably how I should have been spending my time if I wasn't just trying to survive college. (laughs) So um, hat tip to everyone that actually took the time during that time to really make something of themselves in this sport, because that was the absolute time to do it. I mean, you talk about influencing and how influencers in general have people think that they've hit their peak. I don't, I don't believe so, but I think in terms of F1 influencing, that was the time to really get in on the ground floor of that, because now now you have these people that are so just, they're, they're a household name now in F1. I mean, I think Lizzie McIntosh is a perfect example of that, but you know, there, there there's so many backgrounds that 
I think contribute to F1 in such a dynamic way that I don't think we'll ever hit the ceiling necessarily in terms of people's contributions to F1, which is where I think this podcast is really going to kind of help, uh, you know, fulfill that niche because you do have a lot of people talking about government, politics, business, et cetera. But I think what we want to try and do here is, is create sort of a hub where we take the the topics that, yeah, people want to talk about these things and, but it's more surface level. And I think we want to kind of dig deeper into uh, what's actually going on and really unpack the stuff in a way that our, our, our viewers or our listeners really understand in a more dynamic way, because I think you and I bring such a strong, strong backgrounds in business and politics that I think we can accomplish that. And I think there's a need for that. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other, like you brought up Lizzie's name and I think she's, you know, fantastic. She kind of had this meteoric rise from, you know, she went to TikTok and now she's doing, like I saw her at, uh, well, I didn't like talk to her, but I saw her on the screen at Coda and she was doing the track side stuff, which was really cool. Um, but to kind of play devil's advocate there too, or just present the other side of the coin on that one is like, there's probably a ton of people that have no idea who she is, right? So even though for some of us, it's like, oh, yeah, they've established names and there's there's still plenty of opportunity, right? It's still very, very young in this current growth pattern, right? Like this is only year five, six. Uh, you know, you want to like if we try to talk about like Liberty Media and whatnot. So. It, it's not, it's not like, oh my God, I have no opportunity. There's no shot for me. Like if you're looking to get into, you know, F1 or, or, and you want to be a creator, just, you know, there's so many people that talk about the same things out there, which there's nothing wrong yeah. with because there's kind of a different, what is it? Different strokes, different folks, different flavor. Like you could, you, like you will be interesting to somebody else, right? You, you will be interesting to somebody, you know, I'll be interesting to somebody else. And, and it's so true. Like, it's actually crazy that you bring the, you know, we we're talking about creators right now because, you know, you can watch a creator and I can watch a creator. You could be totally in love with them. I could hate them or vice versa. Right. Like not everybody does it for others, uh, equally. So. Yeah. My opinion on that is because I, I'm not really an avid TikToker. I have an account. I think I posted one thing that is sort of a, um, a swipe at F1 for their calendars <laughs> for next oh, God, year and yeah. their, their, their aims towards, uh, uh, you know, what, what is it called? Zero net zero carbon. Yeah. Net zero and carbon. that's the only thing that I have posted on TikTok. <laughs> and, um, but there's one every once in a while, I'll log into TikTok and there's this girl and she'll post things about like one TikTok, I distinctly remember, and I cannot remember this girl's name, but she was saying that these are the sponsors or the companies that should be trying to sponsor Carlos Signs right now. And then she's naming a bunch of mm -hmm. hair brands like Dyson, what are yeah. you doing selling, trying to send your Dyson Airwraps to a bunch of influencers and you have Carlos <laughs> Signs? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, That's again, true. to your point. That's not necessarily my thing. Although I love beauty, I love makeup, I love all that stuff. That's not my thing. But I'm yeah. not criticizing her 
because she has made her thing a massive mm-hmm. thing where she's actually making, I would assume, good money from this. So good for her. But yeah, I just, again, to your point about different strokes for different folks, there's a different mm-hmm. Uh, medium, there's a different, uh, you know, there are different creators for every single person in F1. But I really think this is why there's so much vitriol in F1 right now, because you have the old school petrol heads who are now warring with this new generation. And I feel like because you have social media, where the thing with social media that people have to understand is that they have investors to please. And they're not going to please investors by getting in business with someone like Liberty Media, for example, and saying, you know, Liberty Media saying to them, we need you guys to start to tighten the reins on people who can have accounts who say abusive things. They're not going to do that. These social media companies, for the most part, don't even require your legal last first and last name. They don't require a picture and they don't really require an email that is a real email. You can make up some Yahoo email, create an account and go talk a bunch of shit to a bunch of people. And they're fine with that because account creation is good for their investors. They want to know that people are still creating accounts and that they're still active. Now, what people do on those accounts, you know, you can say, oh, there's violation of terms. The person can get kicked off, but it doesn't matter. The con- the comment has already been made. Right. So, so teams and, and sports themselves leagues themselves are very limited what they can and cannot do on social media to contain comments and things that people are, are, are saying. And so I think this just goes back to managing expectations when it comes to, again, this, this, this sort of civil war brewing between old school fans and this newer generation of fans, because it's always been that way. People have always talked shit in sports. It's just magnified because of social media now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's we kind of we kind of we I don't want to say we, but people tend to forget. Yeah. uh, Tend to forget that with social media, everything is uh, is amplified and it's good and bad. Right. There's there's things that can be amplified for the better. There's things that are amplified for the worse, right? Case in point, you have all like the harassment and whatnot that you know, whether it's female presenters or the drivers have to undergo or um, I mean, not not that it's unjustified, but like even the FIA, right? Like they get blasted for decisions. It's There's that kind of thing, right? And, and some of those things are good. Like, hey, this was, this call was wrong or this was, you know, we're upset about uh, you know, like the jewelry ban, right? And and everyone kind of uproars about it now, whether or not somebody within FIA is reading that. I guarantee you they are. And things change, right? There's there's like the Netflix password thing is, was a good example recently. Netflix decided yeah. to take away, you know, password sharing. And there was so much uproar on TikTok that they ended up backtracking and kind of like, oh, we're going to table this in the U.S. for now. And I think they they kept it in, in a couple countries. But it's like, okay, so people have the power to actually influence. But also, you know, there's there's negatives. Like we talked about abuse and, and whatnot, which I don't want to say you take the good with the bad because you, that's not um, – the abuse should never happen. But it's like you – uh, what's the right phrasing I want to use for it? It's like the – 
where there's something good, there's always something bad. That's that's kind of what I was trying to say is like where you have good things, that medium, social media can also be used for a negative way. Um, So you just have to, you know, you have to be careful and you have to realize what what you're doing, um, you know, when you are using these things. But yeah, I absolutely think that um, I absolutely think that uh, that social media has been a blessing and an absolute curse specifically for when we're talking about formula one. Well, I think we can kind of dovetail that into the free speech issue in itself. The FIA has banned the in quotes, the general making and display of political, religious and personal statements or comments. This is, this is part of its international sporting code for 2023. Some drivers are interpreting that as censorship. Um, I know that Alex Albon has been very vocal against this. Um, Even Max Verstappen, has has been vocal against this and he doesn't really he's kind of uh switzerland when it comes to a lot of things that have for a person who is as chaotic and as controversial as he is when it comes to things that the fia bans or you know he's he's always been very neutral he doesn't really say much Mm -hmm. he sticks to himself um so the fact that he even said something about that um you know he said it i think it was a, a unnecessary something like that so again, not not coloring too far, you know, out of the lines of, of Max Verstappen, yeah, how we typically of course. are, but still making I mean, a statement, still making yeah. a statement. Yeah. And Max, um, I mean, listen, Max focuses on, on track. Winning. You know, he Pushing wants to people. win. He wants to, he's not really <laughs> interested in the media stuff. I mean, like, I think um, we don't have to go into this right now, but like uh, Red Bull bringing Daniel Ricardo on feels like more of a move to make max happy and like hey max you don't have to do <laughs> as much media stuff we've got daniel and and checo they can go do that like you could just focus oh, on that talk about that later because that is yeah yeah yeah, right? yeah. Necessary uh, <laughs> but but, but yes of, i agree yeah in terms of free speech though and in terms of you know what the drivers are and aren't allowed to say i feel like playing devil's advocate you've got a lot of people who are mad at this at this uh, new rule. But when you think about pre-Liberty Media, were mm-hmm. drivers really allowed to have the platform that they have now? No, they weren't. Social media certainly wasn't nearly what it is uh, now. And so drivers can now command even more money mm-hmm. simply based on their social media presence. If you've yeah. got a driver and look at, you know, Daniel Ricardo, perfect example. He is such a charismatic person. He's so charming. He, he can just, he can work a room. And so he's great at Red Bull right now as that third driver, but would he be in that position necessarily if it wasn't for his popularity, wasn't for his popularity, especially on social media? I don't know. So drivers are now put in a position where they can really do something with their own brands. You've got drivers launching brands, you know, left, right, and center. And that's because they can now because of the way F1 has changed. And so I think that saying, if you're a driver and you want to, um, you know, again, kind of invoking the political, uh, political background here, Black Lives Matter a few years ago. Obviously, the intention of Black Lives Matter was was to serve a genuine purpose. It was supposed to raise awareness, uh, you know, on the um, the violence that Black people face, especially at the hands of police brutality, et cetera, et cetera. So, Lewis Hamilton was extremely vocal in uplifting that, and then you had actual Black Lives Matter that they made so much money um, off advocacy, and not a single cent to my 
to my you know understanding was actually invested into black businesses so you have to wonder how many people donated to BLM because they associated that with Lewis which typically you know he he does things that are that are good he's known mm-hmm. as a change maker and he associates himself with things that are intrinsically good how many people donated to BLM because of Lewis you know not knowing that that money would never actually go towards helping the black communities. And so I think this is in a way the FIA's way of mitigating that um, while also still giving drivers opportunities to promote things on their own personal channels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, right. Like you have a seat in formula one either because you're a really good driver. You are, a, a former champion or, or, or a current champion. Like that's a reason um, you are, <laughs> you can bring sponsors in. That's another reason. Or because you have, um, uh, so, you know, some sort of celebrity. Right. Um, and I think that's why Daniel, n- not to say that he's not a, or was not a good driver at one point. I, I just feel like he lost something. And, yeah. uh, but I think the reason why he's got a seat and s- not really a seat. The way the reason why he's got a reserve position with the best team on the grid is because of that charisma. That you know, he is absolutely he's you know, last year um we were tracking social media for all the drivers, all the teams, all the sponsors, and Daniel consistently was the number one driver for engagement across social media. Now, he doesn't have the highest numbers, right? Lewis has more than him, Charles. Um, so there's other, I, I don't know if Lando does. I, I don't know the current, I don't have the current numbers in front of me, but he, Daniel always had the highest engagement. Like his fans showed up, they would interact with his content. And so there's a lot to be said for that. And your position, you know, you, the fact that you have a position, the fact that you have a job of some sort. And I know that purists, the petrol heads would be like, that's not true. It, he can obviously drive. I mean, Red Bull put it out there in their statement. It was pretty much like, oh, he's going to be involved in all the marketing stuff and test drives and all that. I mean, they're literally using him as a marketing tool, right? Like that's, they almost came out and just said that, right? Like the only reason we're using you is for marketing. Like, so you can't ignore the power of social media. You can't ignore the power that these efforts have not only for the driver and for the team they're associated with, but for the sport. So the best thing that Liberty Media ever did was allow these drivers to have a voice and to have their own personality. Like we talked about with creators, we could talk about the exact same thing. Somebody could might despise me and love you. And that's okay. It's, it's just the nature of, of, you know, what is happening. And the same thing with the drivers, right? They're all driving on the track, but I might not like this person or this driver because I don't like their personality, right? On social media, but I might love this driver's personality on social media and that's okay. But this is what Formula One didn't allow, you know, specifically Bernie Eccleston didn't allow prior and, and social media, and, and also to not to Bernie's credit, but just to be, completely transparent i mean social media wasn't it was was a big deal in 2017 it it continues like it's such in its infancy it's like 2017 is ages ago in social media time right 
a long time ago. 2015, like, 2010, like that's age 2010. Facebook was only around for like three years at that point. You know what I mean? Facebook, we're the same age. Facebook, I think I remember getting Facebook when I was 19. I was. Because you, you had to. You were a sophomore. You were. You were very likely a sophomore in, or a you might have been a freshman, freshman or sophomore in high in college. I would think I was a sophomore. You, yeah, I was definitely a sophomore. You still needed an edu email address to be able to access Facebook. Yep. Now I so, got yeah. it. I got it as a soft. I was a sophomore. It was two thousand four, two thousand late two thousand four, something like that. Maybe maybe two thousand five. And the reason, so the college I went to, the university I went to was right down the street from Yale. And if you know anything about the way Mark Zuckerberg approached um, his expansion was he wanted the, the Ivies so he or and bigger schools. So in order to get Yale, he went to Southern, where I went to Southern Connecticut State University and universities around it. And then eventually like, you know, Southern or Yale and, and, and whatnot would be like, okay, sure, join. So he did that with all the big schools. Like I'm pretty sure he did that with, uh, with um stanford i know he did that in like the tech some big the big texas schools he'd go out he wanted one and he went around the schools around it that would say yes and like smaller schools and so anyway didn't it start start as like like a rating people it was basically hot or not yeah yeah Yeah. like hot or not meets tinder in a way (laughs) it was it was a it was a facebook which was basically just a yeah i don't know all the students that was, I mean, that's 2005 and it didn't really go. I would say it didn't go mainstream. I don't remember exactly when they switched to like allow anybody, not just dot edus, but let's just say that was even like 2007 oh, yeah. or 2008. You're still talking about in 2010, you know, the reason I'm using 2010 as a year is because Lewis Hamilton. So he, so Lewis has been around literally since the beginning. Let's we're using Facebook as, as an example here. The beginning of social media. Lewis's career has spanned pretty much the beginning of social media to now, to where we are now. At the beginning of social media, he wasn't even allowed to 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 use it, right? Because of of F one. It wasn't until ten years into his career that social media became a thing. And like, and now look at Lewis Hamilton, right? So like, look at the difference. I mean, imagine if social media wasn't ever allowed in Formula One. They were like not allowed to do anything. You know, then then what? Like, th- does he still? Yes, maybe he's still a tr- champion on track and whatnot. But like, does he still have the brand of Lewis Hamilton? I mean, do do any of these athletes have the brand? I think he would have been fine because the thing that people still to this day kind of refuse to give Lewis the credit for is that Lewis brought the models to the paddock. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah, we saw that to some extent um back in the day i mean back back in senna's time for sure we've seen that but it hasn't been what it was i mean lewis hamilton i mean when he was dating nicole scherzinger and then suddenly (laughs) models you start seeing and then they're posting and then their friends want to come and then i think what lewis did to enhance social media or Mm -hmm. to enhance one he doesn't get nearly enough credit for that because i mean Right yeah. now, you talk about the gridwalk is now a fashion show. Well, Lewis kind of started that because suddenly you have models on the grid and everybody wants to talk to the models. And typically that was a very dirty area. I mean, it still is dirty, but 
it was dirtier. <laughs> and now you've got women who are taking photos in front of these cars while they're work while they're changing brakes right before a race starts. And so it's like that is the Lewis Hamilton effect. And and people can fight me and say, oh, he didn't do that. No, he did do that. It, you can't deny that. Um, but it's definitely yeah. a lot different. Well, I'll put it that way. I won't disagree with you, but I'll say it's a lot different than it was, you know, and, and it's a good, good thing, but it's just a lot yeah. different. That's all. It's a good thing. But I feel like he, before, before, you know, drive to survive before that happened, that craziness happened. I think Lewis started that. And this was still in the infancy of social media while this was happening. I mean, yeah, there were more cameras than anything because they wanted to photograph these celebrities. It was kind of becoming a paparazzi fest, but mm -hmm. now it's, sort of, I think it laid the foundation for what we see today. And so when you think of, of, you know, Liberty media, especially their, uh, their valuation right now, that has happened because there, there are cameras present because people want to see what's going on in F1. People have this curiosity at another level. And yeah. that all started, I think when Lewis joined F1, because people were really curious about Lewis Hamilton. And there was a, mm -hmm. there was a lot of interest with him and he didn't look like anyone on the grid. He had swagger moxie. He was bringing all that. And he kind of laid the foundation for people to, to be more, um, uh, to, I think, elevate the showmanship, if you will. Now everyone's curious what so-and-so wearing you've got, mm -hmm. you've got people distinctly photographing, uh, uh, drivers just for their outfits, drivers, girlfriends, just for their outfits. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's, a, oh. so that's an episode for another day, but <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, but I'm just saying like, this is, no, this you're is, right. This is the, the, this crazy effect that we didn't, I don't think 30 years ago, petrol has ever thought that this is where we would be, where we would have accounts dedicated to, uh, which outfit mm -hmm. Lewis is wearing this week. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Be like, oh my God, no, no, make it stop, make it go away. Uh, but that's where we're at right now. And we talk about the constant, you know, evolution of Formula One. And this is why it's so important now to kind of talk about these details. And everybody, you know, has an opinion on this. And I think that there's all those opinions are welcome, but um, there's so much more nuance now to the sport than there ever has been. This isn't just talking about brakes and, you know, engineering and aerodynamics and technology and all that. I mean, there are so many more things that, that contribute to the sport and without social media, without we joke and talk about what the drivers are wearing and what their girlfriends are wearing, et cetera. But without that exposure, F1 would not be the lucrative empire that it is today. And that's just mm -hmm. a fact. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I because mean, it's, you, could hate racing. you could absolutely despise racing, but you could be yeah. super fascinated by the celebrities and what they're wearing. And that's going to make you buy that expensive ticket. That's going to, that's, what's going to make you want to buy the, the, you know, the all access passes and that's where they make their money. Yeah. And I, you know, and it makes me wonder as someone who does enjoy the racing and it's not as technical as other folks, right? I'm not a, super technical person when it comes to aerodynamics and whatnot. I like engines and, you know, I know how to change the oil. I know how to do, you know, work around a car, but I'm not like this aerodynamicist engineer, like some folks online, which is really cool and fascinating. Um, but you know, I, I, I know, I know what I like and I know that I like to, to watch the cars go around fast and, but there's people, like you said, there's just no interest at all. Um, yeah. in that. And, and, and it's fine. I'm quick story from, uh, Coda when I was at Coda last year, 
I was at uh, I was invited into the Cash App, um, whatever tent that they had. It was a exclusive tent that they had ahead of or during the race and whatnot. So I I was invited to a friend of mine. Um, he's like, oh, go check them out. Went in. And like Serena Williams was in there and there was um, a lot of like very large TikTok celebrities and or not celebrities, but TikTok influencers and, and whatnot in there. And I can't tell you how many of them were actually paying attention to the race. Like I actually yeah. can't count because I don't know if they, and this is not a judgment. This is not a bad thing. I'm just, just by observation, you know, cause there was other activations going on inside. There was like a barista, you know, making espresso drinks and there was a bartender and there was like massages happening and all this. And it was just like, wow, this is, you know, a, like you said, we're going to, we'll just keep saying petrol heads, but like purists would look at this and be like, what the hell? Why, why are we wait? You know, why is this space being wasted on people that don't want to watch? And I, and someone did say that to me, right? Someone did mention that to me. And I was like, but this is how you get people to come in and enjoy kind of the, it's more than just the cars going around the track. There is this allure of the event itself. There's this allure of the the celebrity that's around and the 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 luxury and the, you know, like the the buzz that you don't get elsewhere. Right. It's like this is really, really, really different Exclusive. than most other. Yeah. And and, and it, it that was that was really eye opening for me. Um, not again, this, yeah. that's nothing new. Right. You can go to Monaco and you'll see stuff like that. You can go to some of the races in the Middle East that are super high end luxury and, and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, it was just it was interesting to see it you know, in, in the U S with, with just the amount of people that they had at that race and just yeah. a lot of the activations that had nothing to do with racing, like nothing to do with racing, which is again, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'd like to think of myself as a progressive purist, right? Like I love the purity of the sport, but I also understand we have, you know, you have to change to make things better yeah. or to make them, if you want a sport to survive, if you want anything to survive, survive you have to change you have to make it you know you have to adapt you adapt or die i mean truly and so well, I, uh, go ahead go ahead you look at f1 before uh people were concerned about f1 where is f1 going whereas you know they they just didn't have the cash that they needed and to be truly viable and I, yeah i was concerned about f1 many years ago a lot of other people were concerned and then liberty media acquired it and then now it's sort of turned into this, you know, craziness. And I think mm -hmm. you've got a situation right now where you've got different, especially in the U.S. I think Miami was trying so hard to be the next Monaco or be the Monaco of the West. And that was just a flop and a failure because you yeah. cannot, I'm sorry, you cannot come back from having a fake marina. You just... It, it, that's, I think they're doubling down this year too with the marina, right? Yeah, yeah, they are. They are. They're like, oh, this is great. This was this was highly photographed. This was uh, this is great marketing. Blah blah blah. And it's like, no, that was not great marketing. This was gauche. If if 
at best. And this is not what's going to make, you know, elevate Miami from and separate Miami from Austin, from especially from Las Vegas. I think if anything is going to be that, that Western competition for, or that, you know, North American competition yeah. for, uh, for Monaco, it's Vegas. It's not Miami. Austin is in its own world, but I think that Vegas is what's going to end up being that race. And F1 is doubling down in Vegas. F1 is investing a lot of money in Las Vegas to make that happen. So I think that where F1 is investing its money tells us the cities that they think there's viability. And I think that, especially when it comes to Austin, there are so many people from uh, from the UK who come out to the race here who say that this is considered a legacy track. They love it here. This is very much, um, you know, racing at its best. This is one of the greatest tracks they've ever, they've ever been to. And I had the pleasure mm-hmm. of driving Coda and holy crap, that is wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I can understand why drivers love that track so much after having driven it. And so I don't think we have to worry about, about, the U.S. Grand Prix going anywhere anytime soon. I think if anyone no. has to worry, it's Miami, and especially because so many countries are trying to get in on F1 right now, and the fact that they've already said we're tapped out at at, at twenty four races, we can't do any more than that. So there's a lot of there are going to be a lot of countries that are going to be having to be or rather that are going to be skipped over when it comes to the scheduling. Um, uh, future yeah, schedule, and, and, and I'll add I'll I, add this to your Miami because, comment. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, oh, I was just going to say, I think Miami is going to be one of those more flexible races where they, you know, they maybe say, okay, well, we we can't have this on the calendar this year. Yeah. And, and, and it's not a bad thought. Here's the reason why I don't think that'll be the case. Um, number one, the management who's, you know, the dolphins are, are pretty much managing that they built the track there. It's, it's purpose built, um, for, you know, for F1 or for racing in general, I don't think they built that for any races to happen. Right. It's like, this was built for F1 to happen. Also, Steven Ross, owner of the dolphins who owns, um, all of the, the Miami GP and stuff. Uh, he backed down from a bid, uh, bidding on F1 and mm-hmm. repayment. The, the rumor goes that repayment was that he got the GP that he was able to get the Miami GP in place of it. So I don't think that for at least, you know, five, seven years, we're going to see any movement there on the Miami GP, but mm-hmm. yeah, to the, to the point of the fake Marina and whatnot, it's like, yeah, did it really matter? Well, when they had to go and add 3000 new grandstand seats and more paddock experience, um, you know, opportunities, it's like, well, yeah, there was a lot of complaining about it me included, right? It's kind of a joke, but it doesn't seem to have deterred anybody from wanting to be involved in whatever the experience that was created, right? Which is why it leads to me to believe that it goes beyond what's happening on the grid. Yes, purists will always complain the racing's not good, but are people really going to care if it's a three or four day kind of getaway experience once in a lifetime type thing that turns into, you know, uh, opportunities for F1 to sell into that group. And so that's why I'm like, mm, I don't know if Miami's like, I, I don't disagree with you, but I'm also like, I don't fully agree. Cause I think that it's a, it's a very unique 
unique spot to be in, right? Miami's a, a very much a melting pot, per, you know, great climate, all intents and purposes, it's a great climate. Um, <laughs> but, but a lot of Europeans vacation in, in yeah. Miami already as it is. And so, and, and you've got tons of very wealthy people from all over the United States that travel into yeah. Miami constantly. Um, so anyway, I, that's why I think Miami is just. I do know some people within the paddock that wouldn't mind Miami being scheduled in the fall. So I've had some conversations with people I don't saying disagree. that if that does decide to do regional scheduling, that scheduling uh, Miami, Austin, Vegas, all that within that sort of October, November um, window would be ideal. Cause there, I know a lot of people who are at the race last year who were like, I am yeah. dying. It so it depends so on who important. you're, yes, yeah, I think it depends on who you talk to. Who aren't used to that kind of heat and humidity. Uh, yeah. But also let me think about this. Like imagine you've got three races all back to back at which case you probably going to schedule Mexico potentially in that time period as well. Brazil might end up being in that time period as well. Um, the only, you know, Montreal would be the only one that might not be in that same uh, time scheduling, which is, would be fine. But now you've got three, potentially five races that are all within a region. I just think it's like, well, it doesn't give people opportunity to, to like, oh, I want to go to multiple ones, right? That's kind of the buzz that people will be, well, if I went to Austin, I can't, I don't have enough money to now go to Vegas or go to Miami. But I think there are three very different Grand Prix. There are three very different experiences. And I think they're going to be three very different price points. Um, so I don't think if you're going to, if you're going to Miami or Vegas, you probably have enough money to go to all three or all five or all 24. If you're going to Austin, maybe you don't have enough money to go to uh, both, right? So, or all three or all four. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I think it's going to be tough for them to do that kind of regional scheduling that I, I truly believe that too. Like it, yeah. it's so hard for them to put things like that. Although it would make a ton of sense. Like it's way, it's hot. It's South Florida. I mean, I listen, I live, I live in Palm beach. It's West Palm beach. It is hot in the hot. summer. It is absolutely disgusting in the summer, but to race on a track, it's even worse. So like, yeah, uh, Miami, Miami's interesting. I don't think it's going anywhere, but I also do think that they'll have to figure something out there. They have to improve the product bottom line. Cause again, when you talk about yes. the fake Marina, you talk about the weather, you talk about that. Mm -hmm. It, if, cause if you're someone who maybe you're from New York, for example, and you want to mm -hmm. go to a race, and you're thinking, okay, well, I can I can make a quick trip down to Miami. It's fine. You get there and you're like, oh my God, it's way too hot down here. I don't want, ever want to come back for this yeah. race. And that automatically knocks that race out. Yeah, there are people that will put up with it because it's a it's a fun race. But I mean, mm -hmm. I've been to football games. I'm a 13-year football journalist. I even do football games where it has been hot as hell. They've literally had to take people out of the stadiums and on stretchers and into emergency tents because it has been so damn hot. And yeah. you've got to think about the human components to F1 too. We talk about all the money that can be made. Well, you're not going to make a lot of money if you're not showing people that you're putting humans first. And I think that that is going to get really tiring very quickly. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's I, basically yeah. saying we're prioritizing profit over people. Well, eventually mm-hmm. people are going to say, well, I don't want to go to this race. This race makes absolutely no sense for me from a health perspective. So those are yeah. things that people have to consider too. And I think that especially post COVID people are more aware of these things than they've ever been. So I think there's a lot that F1 is going to have to contend with in the future. And, and, you know, I, I don't exactly know how they're going to get that right. I've suggested uh, regional scheduling. I've, I've talked to a bunch of people. They all agree that that seems like it's, it makes the most sense, but you know, from your point of view, it's obviously you've got that situation where it, people could say, well, I, I don't want to go to these races because they're not spread out enough on the calendar. So h- how do you manage that? You know, yeah, and, and without having to extend the season any mm-hmm. longer than it's extended. Yeah. You also, I mean, you'll never satisfy everybody. Right. So like, there's always going to be somebody upset about something at all times. Yeah. doesn't matter. So if you appeal, if you appeal to one crowd, you're going to alienate another. If you appeal to that crowd, you're going to alienate the other. It's, it's really a lose lose. And so. Well, you look the only- at the activations at races now mm-hmm. and, and how people has see those activations. Like what the hell is this? I, I don't need a facial or an oxygen bar watching a race. This is insane. <laughs> So, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's even happening. Something... Oh, I, I mean, like I said, I I went into a, a few activations at Austin, and I was just like, "This is cool," but like, it doesn't really scream racing to me. It screams, "I dragged yeah. my wife to this race, and I'm giving her something to do while I enjoy a race, or vice versa." Right? Like, I'm here with my partner or a friend who didn't care about this, and <laughs> they're, they're gonna go do something fun. Like, they're gonna go sim race they're gonna go to the spa piece or an oxygen bar or the coffee shop or whatever the lounge and it's like okay that's i mean i get it everyone's gonna make money but i went to a race i can't remember what year it was um at coda with my friend and uh i told him we have to be ready at this time to get out there the race starts at exactly this time and and he was like yeah okay got it we were an hour late because he he was trying to find an outfit. He's very straight, by the way. <laughs> but he was trying to find an outfit. His hair had to be in its perfect numeric order. And so we were late. And then our friends came and got us who worked at the track and they had a they had a golf cart. Mm-hmm. And we we get in and he's like suddenly a kid with ADHD, like, oh cool, whiskey bar. Oh, cool, this, mm-hmm. oh cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm we have to get to the race. We have to get. And he's like, oh, this is cool. Let's stop here. And I'm like, I swear, if you do not come with me, I'm going to leave you. <laughs> yeah. And we were able to see the race. It was great. We saw Kimmy win. But uh, I was like, I'm never, ever bringing somebody who doesn't understand racing to a race ever again. And <laughs> like, so it goes both ways. People oh, either yeah. appreciate it or they don't, or they're there for the experience or you know, they're there for the racing. You, you can't please everyone, but you, I think that that's the whole point of those activations is they know you're going to have the friend with ADHD who can't sit still in a grandstand. So uh, let's throw a whole bunch of stuff throughout the track and, and, and give something, you know, to everyone. But, you know, I just, I think it's becoming a little too much like Disneyland, dare I say that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're <laughs> events, they're, it's spectacle. I have ADHD and I'm like, I step inside these races sometimes. So I'm like, wow. It's spectacle. Okay. It truly is spectacle. I mean, if I don't know if anyone listening paid attention to the motorsport 
survey, the massive survey that F1 did with motorsport. And uh, I think this is the, uh, 2021. And so I, I, I did the survey to see what the questions were, because I think uh, that, that's very indicative of what they're thinking, right? You can tell what people are thinking when they're kinds of questions they're asking. And a lot of the questions, a lot of the verbiage being used in that survey was around spectacle. Now, they hadn't been using that pub as much publicly at that point. But mm-hmm. after they realized that spectacles, a lot of people were cared about the spectacle of the sport um, and the events and like the, the concerts happening around the event. And they were like, oh, this is people care about this. Um, you noticed or you may have noticed there was a lot more of that, you know, yeah. those words being used in, you know, in, in F1 circles, um, the spectacle, the spectacle, the spectacle. So it's truly become a spectacle. It's not just the race. Now for some people like myself, the race itself is spectacle enough. I don't need, I don't need anything else. It's because we know too much. We know too much. We follow the teams too closely. We know what's going on in the garage. We know what's going on under the hood. We know what's going on. And so in the, you know, political and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so that itself is a spectacle because that in itself is difficult to grasp. It's so, there's so much going on Mm -hmm. that we look at the activations, we look at all that other stuff and we're just like, okay, this is a distraction from this. (laughs) That's pretty much what it is. It's it's all a distraction by design. Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. You don't, you don't need the racing doesn't have to be as good when you've got a billion other things going on. Right. That's good. What's that? Some of the tracks don't even have to be as good. No, they just have to be in really cool places. Right. That are, that are, in you know conducive to a fun time and a a great week this is actually interesting too because um, i used to be involved in uh, producing events large-scale events for for brands it was part of what we offered and one of the you know the biggest conversation always was at least from the executives like okay what city are we doing this in where you know where where are we going to have this where are we going to host this What's the location? And it wasn't because of the content from the podium or from the stage, which they cared about. And they cared about quite a bit because they knew there would be customers and there would be vendors and employees there. But it was more about what entertainment value is there that, you know, where can we host our clients? Where can we, you know, have our fun? I mean, I just went to uh, a uh, an event for a customer uh, that hosted their event in Hawaii on Maui, you know, flew everyone out to Maui, um, for five days. And the re, you know, I talked to some of the executives, I was like, you know, why Maui? And they're like, well, we've been doing it. We've done it in Maui for a while. Uh, we've done it in Hawaii for a while. We've bounced around to different, uh, islands. We've done it in, uh, we're, or we're trying to do it at Yas Marina. They want to do it on the island and they want to do they wanted to do some sort of now this this client is also they are a sponsor in formula one and automotive um but they wanted they want to do it there so it's like it's not just formula one right the spectacle the event that's what's so it's first of all it's the same type of people that run both 
organizations, right? The organization I'm talking about and the organization, you know, F1 and, and, and Liberty and all that, it's all the same thing. Like people are so concentrated on what else can we do when we're there? Because if I'm spending money or if I'm flying out and spending my time to come here, there, ha- there better be enough for me to do other than just yeah. watch the race. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is why you have so many of these host cities spending the money that they're spending right now, trying to make their cities look more attractive. I have friends who have come to uh, the race at Coda for years now, and they say they're amazed that every single time they come here, the skyline looks completely different. And I live here and I see that every single day. The skyline from now and 16 years ago is night and day, night and day difference. And so you can imagine when people first came to the first race here uh, at Coda and now they're probably like, this is a city that, that spends a lot of money to make itself attractive. And it's true. We have so many different events, so many different music festivals that happen here. We have to make ourselves look attractive. So I wouldn't doubt it if down the line, more of these cities continue to dump as much money as humanly possible in their infrastructure to make their cities look more attractive, to make things look better. Uh, I'm curious to see what Miami does because I did, uh, I think a lot of people I knew who went there were bored. They said that there wasn't a whole lot to do if you didn't like nightlife. And they were kind of unimpressed with how far they'd have to travel just to go to different um, different uh, restaurants and things. They said it's not very walkable. And I think that's what people love yeah. about Austin is that everything is walkable. You stay downtown, you can walk everywhere. And I think, like I said, I'm curious to see what Miami does to change that because that is a big knock uh, on mm. tourism. People like things to be accessible. If you're going there, you're going to be spending a lot of money anyway, taking Ubers everywhere. It doesn't really matter. But again, it's accessibility is important to cities and making themselves look attractive. And when you've got different brands that are looking at going to race cities, knowing that this is a race city and that we could do uh, events here and people are going to come because they're synonymous with F1 or they're synonymous with some other racing, uh, um, you know, uh, circuit or, or, you know, that they need those cities and that infrastructure to be as attractive as humanly possible. So I am curious how cities, if it's possible, the cities start to maybe partner with these racetracks, um, or F1 in general to start, to start changing that. Yeah. So I, I, I actually made, um, kind of posted, I've been using LinkedIn quite a bit lately and I made this, this post around that completely. There's right now the biggest challenge for, for tracks, for, for circuits, for organizers is there's not enough supply to meet the demand of tickets or just demand that people, you know, want in on, on formula one. Now a track like Miami had the money and the, the ability to add 3000 seats, right. In the grandstands, but, but not every track, not everybody can do that. Right. Not, not everyone's going to be able to just be like, Oh, we're going to go add seats. Coda added space, uh, last last season but again not yeah. everybody can do that um i think it's absolutely and I'll, I'm, I'll literally read my post almost word for word there'll be a challenge amongst formula one organizers and promoters when it comes to managing demand not that high demand is a problem but figuring out what to do to satisfy that demand will be a problem for example miami added 3,000 grandstand seats circuit of the americas did this last year 
Um, not every venue will be able to. Attracting the fans from Netflix is one thing, but keeping them interested in returning is another. It's essential for organizers to attract brands and sponsors, but also to get them involved early on. This can help build deeper relationships with fans, especially when given time to activate around an event and a host city digitally and in person. So I think it's very, you know, to me, it's imperative that they find ways not only to activate sponsorships, you know, you've got these brands that are spending millions of dollars and then they're not really activating beyond like our logos on the car. That's cool. Yeah. What else can you do? Um, or our logos in the, in the, you know, on the track somewhere or whatever. That's great. How are you engaging the fans? Because at the end of the day, it's about the, the fans that are coming to keep pumping money into the sport, right? Without fans, brands don't really care to sponsor it, right? Like you need eyeballs for your product to be worth something. And uh, so I do. I think that taking the sponsorships, taking an approach where we are really going to focus on the fans or focus on a city and making it something worthwhile, that's that's kind of that's that's the hurdle, right? It's like, yes, you need to have a great on track product, awesome, but how are you going to make this extend to those that cannot make it? You know, how do you make this interesting? What about people that want to travel in for the GP? They don't want to come into the actual GP because maybe they don't, they don't, I don't know, they don't like loud noise. They don't, they don't want to watch it live, right? They want to be able to see on their TV where you can see everything. Well, how do you, how do you allow people to come into the city, still have that experience and get, you know, uh, rub elbows with, with potential, I don't know, drivers and team members and whatnot and rub elbows with other F1 fans, but not have to go to the circuit? Cause I think that's, you know, I um I used to live in Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State, big big football school, American football school. Um, I went to a game that had one hundred and seven thousand people in the stadium. The next day, I was reading the paper or something. They they the paper the the, the city estimated that there was another hundred thousand plus people outside the stadiums frequenting the bars and restaurants all around the stadium that either couldn't get tickets or whatever it was. So they literally were all around the stadium and all around that area, spending money, enjoying the game from a bar TV or something. So, I mean, the same thing with, with F1, right? Yeah, you, you had 400,000 people for the weekend at Coda, but how many other people, how many more people were outside, you know, in Austin or, you know, around the area that didn't go in there? But how are you activating on them, right? So I think those right. are really, really important conversations to have. And, and that's your, your spot on with the fact that, you know, how do you make a city attractive or how do you make the event attractive in that city for that time to give people something else to do, yeah. um, whether they want to watch well, the race or not? Well, I think in the U.S. we have a really good uh, comparison when it comes to perhaps F1 and and football, the parallels there in terms of uh, economic impact. Uh, you posted yesterday that F1 Las Vegas is expected to generate, what, $1.3 billion? Um, yeah, more than the Super Bowl. In, yeah, which is... Uh, uh, on average, uh, I've read that between 127 and 258 million dollars are spent by fans in host cities during the Super Bowl. I mean, this is tax revenue, jobs, Airbnb hosting, Ubers, concessions, caterers—you name it. This is such a massive economic impact on these local cities. And so, if F1 thinks that they're going to generate 
$1.3 billion. That to me says that the United States is 110% here to stay when it comes to Formula One. And, and that's not F1. People- Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but that's not F1 that made that put out those numbers. That was um, yeah. a group. That was a group in Las Vegas that's that you know studies economic impact and whatnot and put the stats right. together. So those aren't. It's not like F1 is just trying to pump up. Yeah, you know, they're not trying to overpower themselves. Um, no. This is this is an independent firm that that uh, came up yeah. with this 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 figure. And so again, I think that that puts a lot of these other cities, F1 host cities on blast throughout the world. And that basically says, this is what the United States can do. You said when we talked in our last uh, podcast we recorded together, that um, the um, the people who own CODA want to have a million people, right? Attend yep. the race weekend, not like attend the race, but like, you know, trickling mm-hmm. in through throughout race weekend. So the fact that the U.S. is trying to hit F1 so hard, the fact that so many different, I mean, you've got Ford and Red Bull partnering, you've got mm-hmm. so many different American companies joining F1 right now. I understand why so many European petrol heads and you know racing enthusiasts are, are kind of worried right now uh, with how the U.S. is starting to kind of take over F1. They don't like it. This is traditionally a, a European sport. And here the U.S. comes. It's owned by a U.S. company. We're doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on our cities. We're spending a lot of money. And I understand where the threats come from. But once again, this basically should put every single host city on notice that this is what we're doing what are you guys going to do to step up? Because this is no longer about, uh, you know, just these, these legacy races. Let's, let's try and rate, you know, have as many races as we can on the cheap. This is about, you know, this is about money. You know, that F1 is motivated by money and it's motivated by power. And that's not just F1, that's the FIA too. And that's why they clash so much. So this isn't a U.S. thing. And I think that there are a lot of international, uh, fans that need to understand that, you know, if, if Monza goes out, if other races end up losing, uh, um, uh, their races essentially because of this massive push, it's because they didn't have the infrastructure, they didn't have the support and they just, they weren't putting the money into, and that that's on their, um, that's on their own cities to, to, and, and ownerships to decide that how, how that's going to go for them. That's not on us. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I think, I think the more benefit that people realize comes from having these races in the United States and expanding, just expanding, right? Getting out of now. There's, there's obviously, and of course, there are races that I believe should not be touched. They are uh, historic. They are, uh, you it know, legendary. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like don't touch Monza. Don't touch Silverstone. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's other races, you know, that I, I, don't I think, think Monaco is one of those races. I think that won't really ever go anymore and not that, that it's a great track or anything. It's not, it's a quite a boring race, but yeah. it's because it's Monaco. Right. I, and, and, you know, if Vegas is 
being kind of groomed to be the replacement to Monaco. I, I don't, I don't love that as an F1 fan uh, because, yeah. you know, first of all, the Monaco Grand Prix has been there since the twenties. Like it, there is something for me that heritage should mean something. Um, yeah. And, and so I will never advocate. What's that? Heritage should mean everything in F1. I mean, I think there's ways to evolve the sport while still preserving the heritage that made it what it is. Otherwise, we're completely abandoning and yeah, yeah, yeah. agreed. No, I agree. I think I, I, I think heritage means you know means a lot in and it means a lot in every sport, but with Formula One, with with a lot of motorsport, heritage seems to matter more. And so you can't just ignore it. Um, I would, you know, I wouldn't personally ever, I wouldn't touch Monaco. Do I think the racing is fantastic? Absolutely not. But I don't think touching Monaco is, is, I don't think moving, you know, changing one race is never going to be like the end all be all, right? Like you're not going to move Monaco and you're going to, I think you'll, you'll cause more problems by moving Monaco than you will gain by putting it somewhere else, right? Like, just not worth. I was gonna. It. I think that getting rid of Monaco from F one would be like changing the name on the Lombardi Trophy. I, I think. Don't know. I think it's probably even. <laughs> it's probably even something something more, right? Like. Yeah. I don't know. Changing Monaco is like making the World Cup every year. You know, it loses. I, I don't. Wait, it's not every year. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, funny, funny, funny. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 there you know are certain things those, that shouldn't be touched. Yeah, I'm one of those soccer fans, football fans, whatever it's called, um, that I I only pretend to know what's going on or care when it's on and when like the U.S. is playing. Um, but I know nothing about it, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> so. That's okay. I'll I'll forgive you. Go sports, yay team! I hope they all have fun. <laughs> Everyone had fun. Everyone got a trophy. We're all happy. Yay. Sports, which is funny again, because I'm a sports veteran um, journalist. And I, when it, when it comes to soccer, that is, that is the sport. I'm like, don't care. But I kind of want to talk about um, and know your opinion on the uh, Ford Red Bull situation. Obviously I think, it's it's always strange when you've got teams kind of joining with different companies for you know whatever it is power unit whatever but then outside of and i forget which journalist posted it there's a red bull wrapped porsche yeah it was outside chris medlin who posted that yeah chris medlin um uh, I, what are your thoughts I, on that? I, I, I haven't, know where to be. <laughs> so I haven't, I haven't confirmed if that photo was actually like legit, although it looked very legit. Like it didn't look like it was yeah. Photoshopped or anything. Yeah. And no one, no one said anything about it being Photoshopped, but, um, oh. yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I, mean, I like, did know that Medlin would post that cause he's, he's pretty serious. He's, he's, yeah, he's, I don't think so highly- either. I don't think so either. No. I mean. I think if he did post that and it was a joke, he would have said disclaimer joke. I, I agree. I agree. Um, I don't, I don't, I really don't know. Uh, I, like it, 
it was weird. I'm like, why? That's kind of strange. Um, his name was on the side of the car. Did you notice that too? Whose name was on the car? Checo. Oh, maybe it's Checo's personal car then. Door or something. I I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to be kind of a weird thing to, um, kind of a weird, like, why would you wrap a car? I I wouldn't wrap a car with my company that I work for. Like, brand on it but i don't maybe maybe they gave him that car because like red bull doesn't have a car right it's not like mercedes or ferrari where you're like we can give you a we can give you one of these right so maybe maybe it was just his car that he had it just happened to be a porsche i mean and it's just the iron like maybe well, all of these things are coincidental but why would check have a porsche in new york i mean these guys get cars every you know wherever they go and it- I don't know. It's I don't know. I really couldn't tell you. From that car launch that I'm like, I really want to pay attention to Ford. I want to pay attention to this partnership. This is really fascinating. But what the F was that? Yeah. I think, I think, honestly, I think it's probably a, a, a little bit of a Horner, faux pas. And... I think Horner just likes to mess with people. I think he does things intentionally. And I think that was like some little intentional kernel because you know how he is. He's a shit start. He was also pretty, I mean, they've got to be, you know, if you're Red Bull, like you're probably pretty, I don't want to say pissed, but the whole Red Bull Porsche thing fell through. And I think that was, yeah, you know, Porsche wanted a lot more control. Red Bull was not going to give it up. Um, Porsche basically didn't want to, they, they didn't want to let Red Bull continue running the team, right? Yeah. Um, they, and I think Horner was like, we're not going to be run by a corporation and we are going to be able to, you know, we're, we make adjustments quickly. We're able to move much more nimbly than, than, uh, for lack of a better word, for a Volkswagen owned team. Like if we, if we're now owned by them, we are not gonna be able to move as fast and make decisions and do things that we can do, you know, now and operating as a race team. I think this Ford deal gives them kind of the best of both worlds. They get the Ford involvement they get ford building the engines for them or helping them build the engines or whatever the hell is going to happen who actually knows and um and they get the benefit of like now bringing on what one of the largest american brands right beating everybody kind of to that punch so the thing is warner said the discussions with ford established a very different relationship to the conversations Mm -hmm. they were which with Porsche, which he says were commercial. When you think about the fact that uh, I think uh, Red Bull is number two from an F1 global survey of of, of fans, they mm-hmm. come in. They came in at number two with nineteen point eight percent of the vote behind McLaren. Uh, but also, Ford is the number two automaker in the nation. They made one point eight million units in two thousand twenty one. So this is, you know, in my opinion, we talk about how America, how much F1 is expanding in America. This is the perfect, I think. Part partnership for for uh, red bull yeah no i i couldn't agree more i think I'm, I'm happy to see them back and i'm I'm happy to see them in, in you know formula one they're involved in plenty of other motorsport they've got a lot to add from not only from a marketing perspective but also from you know um just an experience perspective and an expertise and so it's it's great it's good for everybody it, this is not a bad thing like anybody who thinks it's a bad thing is just you know I mean, upset. is it good for everyone? Is it good for General Motors? I don't know. I think the jury is still out on whether that ever happens. But well, I mean, um, if GM comes in with with uh, 
you know, with um, Andretti. Do you think GM could ever buy AlphaTauri? No. Do you think that was for sale? No. I don't know. No, I don't. Well, I think that's all we've got today. Um, you have anything else to add? I don't know. I feel like no, this, this has been a, a really good... one. Yeah, this was this was a good. I think this was a fun first first episode for the two of us to actually kind of grind our teeth or cut our teeth and figure it out. I mean, we both have opinions that I think we could probably talk about for hours. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll definitely we'll Maybe. definitely have. Uh, We'll have difficulties keeping under an hour, I think, anytime, but that's good. There's plenty, there'll be plenty of meat. There'll be plenty of stuff to, you know, chew on if you're a listener. Plenty of uh, topics for us to cover. And, you know, we might not always bring the absolute latest news, but we'll definitely dive into topics that, you know, others may stay away from. So I, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, we like to have discussions. We like to talk about stuff that I think a lot of people, like you said, don't want to talk about. These are the hard mm-hmm. conversations we should have so yeah um where can people find you on social media yeah just look for me at vincenzo Landino on twitter that's that's the best way to do it or uh subscribe to my newsletter readqualifier.com and my socials are all on there too so that's the the easiest way to get to me and i respond i'm pretty good at responding so if you reach out i'm, I'm pretty good at responding I, on the other hand, am not so good at responding, but to be fair, it's not my fault. Um, you guys can find me at the VF Castro on, I think pretty much every face. Not, I don't have Facebook, but you guys can find me. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys liked our first episode. Um, if you have any questions or concerns, comments, you name it, ask Vincenzo. Cause like I said, I never answer joking. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. I'll make sure I bring him to her. Thank you so much for tuning into the VF1 show. If you liked it, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And for previews of next week's show, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the VF Castro and Vincenzo Landino.